Hello and welcome to the My Favourite Film Podcast with me, your host, Gav Smith. This week is the first of a two-part episode. In this first episode, I'll be talking to James and Matt of the Journey Through Sci-Fi podcast about their two favourite films. In this episode, we'll be talking about James's favourite film, Planet of the Apes. Before we start that chat, just the usual contact information. If you want to get in touch with me here at the podcast, the email address is myfavoritefilmpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at myfavfilm. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, pop over to Apple Podcasts. Uh, on Apple Podcasts, you can leave ratings and reviews, and it's those five-star ratings and reviews that help the podcast get found by other new listeners. As for Martin James, you will find them at the Journey Through Sci-Fi podcast. You'll find them on email at journeythroughsci-fi at gmail.com, on Twitter as through sci-fi pod you'll find their facebook discussion group just search journey through sci-fi there's also a website that i'm sure if you search for you will find no problem at all okay james and matt do a deep dive into science fiction covering different subgenres one at a time so far they've covered ai space time travel and vr their fourth series has just finished okay i said this week talking to James and Matt about James's favourite film, Planet of the Apes, the 1968 classic with Charlton Heston. If you haven't seen the film, I would suggest going off and watching the film before listening to the podcast. We will be spoiling this film, I'm sure, very well. Um, we talk about all the twists and turns that take place during the film. The film, basic synopsis, is about four space travellers travelling through space at faster than light speed. Because they're travelling faster than light speed, this causes time to travel at a different rate on the spaceship than it would on Earth. So they know that their six-month mission has already taken 700 years in Earth time. By the time they return, it's going to be a lot later than that. On their journey back, where they have gone into cryosleep, something goes wrong and the spacecraft crash lands on a planet that is run by apes, hence the title of the film. The story then revolves around Taylor, Charlton Heston's character, and his fight for survival on said planet of the apes. I hope you enjoy my chat with James and Matt. Discover Planet of the Apes. where humans run wild in the jungles. And the superior beings are apes. Hello, James. Hello, Matt. Hello, Gav. Hello. It's lovely for you to come on this um, podcast. Um, no, we'll thank start... you for inviting us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks. Yeah. I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time, so... Um... I thought it'd be nice to have you on, so it was, it was great when you said you would um, would join. So it's good. Yeah. Um, we're going to yeah, talk absolutely about our pleasure. Good. We're going to talk about uh, Planet of the Apes and Wally in the next couple of episodes. Our Planet of the Apes is your favourite film, isn't it, James? Is that it right? Is indeed. Yeah. Yep. Nineteen sixty-eight film, an absolute classic. Um, uh, based on the planet. Desange, I think is the correct pronunciation. <laughs> Monkey, <I> think... planet. <laughs> <laughs> Monkey planet. Monkey planet, yeah. 
We are always terrible at pronouncing yeah. anything yeah. on yeah. our podcast. So yeah, we totally identify with that and the difficulty with pronouncing other languages. Good stuff. <laughs> you see, have you read Monkey Planet or the, the No, I'd no. really be interested to do so though, because like it's so different apparently to the film. Like the nineteen sixty eight film is just like it deviates in a lot of ways yeah. from the actual book. See, is I, it supposed I, to be like is it supposed to be like more fantastical? Is it more like uh, the the future depicted? Yeah, well, I, I see. I'm a big Planet of the Apes fan. I have seen all of them all the way through. I watched the TV series as a kid, the cartoon series, so I've seen an awful lot of it. So <laughs> Matt's face that doesn't work on podcasts, you know. <laughs> We're both absolutely. I'm just. Uh, I guess. I guess the face <laughs> to translate the face into audio is the face of someone who is way out of his depth for this conversation. <laughs> no, so I have read um, Monkey Planet, as I think it was when I bought it way back when I was a young man. Um, it is a very, very different film. Or very, very different book, rather. Um, it's got a double twist, which makes it a little bit different. Um, it actually lends more to Tim Burton's version than yeah. this original version, believe it or not. So, yeah, because Tim Burton's version doesn't happen on Earth, and that's the whole point of this one. It's The book happens in a planet off the star Beetlejuice. Whoa, 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 whoa. So so there is an actual Planet of the Apes like yeah. Taylor thinks there is for the entirety of the film? Absolutely. That, and that's, that's where they are. That's a pretty fundamental thing, <laughs> isn't it? Absolutely huge, yeah. But their evolution has followed the same path as Earth's evolution. So they used a lot of that stuff to bring that to Earth in the, the film. Very strange. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So they talk a lot about that evolution. Yeah. And what what were the two twists? Because I think I know one of them. Well, I'm one of the sure twists is it starts in a spaceship and they talk about these space tourists, basically, who are just traveling through space and they pick up a message in a bottle. And the story is then the space tourist reading the message in a bottle, which is um, Ulysses' story of going to the planet of the apes. The twist there is that they're apes. So these space tourists are actually apes and they read the story at the they sort of say at the end how that they are apes. How can man possibly have done that? It's ridiculous. It must be a story. <laughs> so they put you in this place of the the story they're reading is actually a fictional story they've found. Yeah, so it's kind really of a double twist. Yeah, yeah, because I know in the Planet of the Apes films they do a lot of these um sort of like skits where they've got the lawmaker, yeah, who is sort of like telling them about the history of the Planet of the Apes and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So. Yeah. I guess that kind of harks back a little bit to the book in terms of the storytelling aspect of it and sort of passing that down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they, they explain that, I suppose, through the <clears throat> the next five films with Caesar, because Caesar is the, the lawmaker, isn't he? Yeah. And I guess though, uh, there's a line up, which can skip across the end now, but there's a line at the end where um, Zeus says, I've been waiting for you all my life. And that's obviously something from the lawgiver Caesar has said a man from the future is going to arrive at some point. This is what's going to happen. And he's going to lead to this stage because obviously Caesar would have known because he was told by Zero and Cornelius back in his childhood. So, 
is this Caesar the same Caesar that's in the reboot movies? Yeah. Is that supposed to join it all together? Oh yeah. my god! It, it, I need to watch this entire series. Yeah. <laughs> the the five original films are a, a circular film. Um, so you start in the middle um, with Taylor arriving on the planet, and then the second film takes you underneath the planet, and then Cornelius and Zero go back in time. Give this is birth, my favorite one. Yeah, give birth that to one, Caesar, yeah. and Caesar then starts the revolution of the apes taking over because you then go into him being on his own. Um, there's a plague on Earth that kills off all cats and dogs, mm. bizarrely. So humans take in apes as their pets. It's so, so every, crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely mad because, like, they never planned that initially, did no, they? Because no. they just thought, we'll do this film. Rod Serling spent a lot of time trying to get it made. Yeah. And yeah. then it did so phenomenally well. Yeah. They were like, how can we turn this into a franchise? How can we yeah. churn out another film? Well, and then, it... yeah, but Leaf the Planet of the Apes was kind of like, you thought it was going to end there because they literally blow up the planet. Don't yeah, they? <laughs> absolutely. So it's like, how are you going to do any more sequels after that? Oh, yeah. we'll figure out a way. We'll have yeah, them yeah. coming back to earth this time yeah so we'll lengthen it out and then yeah like you say they sort of they um start the whole story again by yeah. sort of like um having caesar in there and growing up and then the big sort of um ape revolution against um humanity and it's yeah. just it's so amazing to, it like to me how they've sort of done that and i think i like i'm a big fan of the uh, reboot series as well like, yeah i've yeah. I recently watched all of them yeah. again and it's just it's it's kind of got all of the tinges of the original, but it's kind of put it in this sort of modern setting. Yes. But for me, there is still something about this this original version that is just timeless. It is, yeah. I think it it still works. I mean, like I watched it just recently, obviously rewatching it for this, and I actually watched it with my son, who as I said, he's 12-year-old, you know, um, but he loved it. And he now wants to watch the rest of the films, including the reboots, including the the remakes and everything else. So he suddenly so got really into it. Your your son is a twelve year old. Yeah. What did he know about the ending of the he movie? Because I'm fascinated by by the whole like how much people know about it. Yeah, he knew nothing. I told him oh nothing about it. Basically, he said, "What's the film about?" I said, "Well, it's about a planet of the apes." And that was basically <laughs> all I told him. It's like it's in the title. That's all there is. And he watched it and just. Loved it. And then I think it was at the end when obviously you're on the beach and you had the shot over the, the spikes and he kind of went, is that the Statue of Liberty? Oh. And then, of course, That's it so pans good. the front. So he, he got it. He saw that. But it, it then it's blown his mind since he keeps asking me questions about it. So. Oh, that is so good. Oh, That's I like a similar experience it. to me. Like yeah. I watched it. Um, when it was on TV, on must have been on BBC or something. Yeah. And I had no idea about that ending, and it literally blew my mind. And yeah. just to hear you say that you've shown your son it and he didn't <laughs> know, I think that is beautiful because, like, yeah. it's such a impactful ending. And for me, it's one of the best endings in cinema history. Oh, like, it's brilliant. It's, without a doubt, you don't see it coming if you don't if you haven't seen all of the memes that are out there now. <laughs> the Simpsons the, and whatever else. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I might have seen The Simpsons before I ever saw it. And I don't really remember like the first time I saw it properly. No. So like I've got no recollection of that. I'm so jealous of your son and yeah. you, James, getting to, you know, just having that experience. I'm definitely like, you know, in the future when I have kids, yeah, I live vicariously through them and, and show them this. Definitely. Uh, as a, as a blank it's a good one. Yeah, it, show them that from the, 
and just don't tell them anything at all. Like I say, the best way is just, well, the, the, everything's in the title of the film. It's the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. What, what more do you need to know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it works. What was your first experience of watching this film, Planet of the Apes, then, Gary? <sighs> what do you remember about it when you first saw it? See, I, I will have watched it on television. Um, again, I'm, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I remember watching it, probably sitting at home with mum and dad, and, you know, just will have watched it, and I wouldn't have known anything about what's going to happen again at the end. Just, what? Can't No, that, that camera, and just can't believe what's happened at the end, and just mind being blown. And having to think about it and talk about it the next day at school with everybody and <laughs> that, that whole thing. But there's so yeah. much lead up to that big sort of reveal at the end that they there is like yeah that they are actually on Earth still. Like yeah. it's the way it just starts off with the the spaceship and it's like all very fantastical at the beginning. You've it got yeah. Taylor in there. They're going into cryo sleep, which is like <laughs> yeah. such a such a great sci-fi concept as it is. You know, yeah. me and a massive sci-fi fan, so <laughs> I love stuff like that. And that completes my final report until we reach touchdown. We're now on full automatic in the hands of the computers. I've tucked my crew in for the long sleep, and I'll be joining them soon. In less than an hour, we'll finish our six months out of Cape Kennedy. Six months in deep space. By our time, that is. According to Dr. Hasline's theory of time in a vehicle traveling nearly the speed of light, the Earth has aged nearly 700 years since we left it. Well, we've aged hardly at all. Maybe so. This much is probably true. The men who sent us on this journey are long since dead and gone. You who are reading me now are a different breed. I hope a better one. I leave the 20th century with no regrets. But one more thing, if anybody's listening, that is. Nothing scientific, it's purely personal. Seen from out here, everything seems different. Time bends, space is boundless. It squashes a man's ego. I feel alone. That's about it. Tell me, though, does man, that marvel of the universe, that glorious paradox who sent me to the stars, still make war against his brother? Keep his neighbor's children starving? But the actual, like, the scene where the spaceship crashes... Yeah. Is, is so well done like all these really big sort of wide shots of the landscape it looks like another planet you, you yeah. could it looks so sort of like foreign with all the sort of um uh, desert sort of canyons and that kind of that kind of vibe that it's got and yeah. the massive mass of water that that they sort of like crash into it's just yeah. it's fantastical from the offset yeah it is it, the, the sound design as well the fact that they they just cut sound completely you'll just get a shot of a big vista of desert, and there's no sound at all. It's it's just bizarre the way it's done, I suppose, in that way as well. They also like do it through the dialogue as well. Like Taylor's really specific about their location near yeah. Orion's Belt. Is it a star off? Is it Beetlejuice or something? I think Orion's it is. Belt? I think it's Beetlejuice, which obviously they've taken from the book. So he's got a very specific location in mind that appears yeah. informed. So you've got no reason to like distrust him the first time you see it, and he seems yeah. so confident with it. 
and they make loads of references to like um there's a strange luminosity in the sky but there's no moon yeah and i only really caught that line this time watching it i was like well i wanted to ask you actually do they ever explain why there's no moon above the planet of the apes is that in one of the sequels um, prequels do you know I, I don't think it is um i'm trying to think now if it's ever mentioned Certainly, the, it, the second one, it's not mentioned the second one. The second one, they, they yeah. do literally go beneath the planet. It's kind of, again, the clues in the name of the film. Um, it's such a weirdly specific either. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, there's no moon in the sky. I mean, it could have been a night where the moon wasn't visible. They say True. that on day one of their yeah. expedition. Yeah. <laughs> They're very confused about where they are, so you, they can, are. you could excuse them. They are. I mean, the thing is, there's lots of stuff, actually, because watching it again, I, I spotted more stuff, more stuff that they, they do really give you a foreshadowing that they are on Earth from the start. There's a whole point in the, the ship where Taylor's explaining all about the fact they're on this mission. And he says, we're on return mission to Earth. So why oh, did they yeah. not expect to be returning to Earth? Yeah. I it's... think it's just because it's so different to the Earth they remember. Yeah. But they, yeah, but you're right. They know that they've been in sort of cryosleep for that amount of time. They yeah. know that amount of time has passed. But yeah, they just—it's—it's it's just so foreign to them at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really—it's really weird. But they do seem to know that they've gone further than they would. I suppose they're expecting to get back in about the same time as they left. So I think when they go into cryosleep, it's something like the year two thousand six hundred, um, and when they come out, it's three thousand and something. So they've been in cryosleep coming back longer than they expected. So maybe he thinks we've gone. I- I worked it out. I think I I worked it out, and I think it's because he says they've been gone for six months. Yeah, and then I did the maths on the number of years that have passed, and I think it's it's a year. Actually, I think they say in the dialogue as well. They say it's been eighteen months. I don't know if they if they were planning an eighteen month journey. It's just they they had been out for six months, and then it's an extra year after they wake up. Uh, That's why it's like the year three thousand nine hundred. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit late than we're expecting to get back, isn't it? So (laughs) yeah, but I don't know why they're kind of like the the other astronauts are like they're a bit distressed by the idea that it's it's two thousand years in the future. But it's like, but guys, you were already yeah seven hundred years in the future. What's the problem with two thousand years? Like yeah, you know, it's a drop in the ocean at that point. Yeah, when they went to sleep, they knew that everyone they knew was already dead at that point because yeah. it's 700 years later. So I don't know. <laughs> that one's a bit of an odd one. I love the way they do that sort of exposition, though. They do it like in such a clear-cut manner. Like They don't dwell on it for too long. You get no. all of that info really quickly and you can just have it and take it with you for the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah. It's just He just sits there and he's basically doing his captain log, his captain's log yeah. thing, isn't it? It's almost that type of thing. Um and you were saying about the, the landscape being so alien. It's only alien if you've never watched an episode of Star Trek, because it's pretty much... <laughs> true. It's every true. Star Trek planet, isn't it? <laughs> but even when they, sort of, when they come out of that ship and then they're looking around, it's it's just sort of like the... It's, the, it's them being lost as well, and there's something yeah. about that, and just not knowing, not knowing your bear, not having your bearings where you are, which kind of gives it that sense of danger from the offset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
yeah <laughs> i'm just saying yeah lots now <laughs> i was just thinking about it in my head <laughs> i mean that's the thing with this film you start thinking about certain bits and then you go off in your head and you remember that scene and you remember what you were seeing and that's why this is like one of my favorite films ever because you can just visualize everything yeah well i was gonna ask you because i've kind of missed it we started talking about the film <laughs> why is it your favorite film what is it that makes it your favorite film I think for me, because it's got a bit of everything and like, I really like films that kind of have um, some sort of like deeper themes and messages and that kind of thing. And obviously sort of the setting when this was made, there was so much turmoil in America, mm. like all of the stuff with Vietnam, the death of JFK, yep. like um, Martin Luther King and like all of these um, like really powerful topics were happening, powerful things were happening in the world yet people couldn't really comment on them in a sort of like traditional way like no one was going to make a film about those topics no. about what was going on but that's the beauty of sci-fi and they sort of like in sci-fi you can make comments on these kind of things you explore these themes in in a fantastical way so it yeah. kind of um separates it a bit so it's it's commenting on the zeitgeist from a distance but so it's got all of that to it just at one part but then on the other part of it is it's just a fantastic sort of action film and it's like f fantastical you've got all of these great scenes this this foreign world that the makeup the costume yeah. everything just like really works together to make this sort of total film for me and then throw in the twist as well yeah it's like <laughs> yeah that's why i love this one so much yeah so is it a film that you you, you rewatch regularly? Is it one that you put on because it's uh, it's a gloomy day outside? I'll put it on and or yeah, definitely. It's one of those films for me, and I think like even the sequels. It's yeah. I think it's something about this era of filmmaking as well, like sort of the sixties, seventies. That sort of like almost technicolory feel just um, yeah. has something sort of vintage and timeless to it. So I love watching films which are sort of like from those eras. Yeah, and yeah, revisiting this is like something I do quite a lot. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's, you should you should get the book and read the book. Honestly, yeah, I, think, I definitely I, I need to. I can't believe I haven't yet. But yeah, yeah. thank you very much for the recommendation, Gavin. Yeah. Definitely going to get on that. Yeah, I think it's. I think it was only. I saw it on Amazon. I think it's about four ninety nine on Kindle. So it's like, oh, bargain. You know, you may as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Trying to think because we're kind of going through the film there. Um, so yeah, that they they do all this exposition at the start. And they crash on the planet. They get loads of stuff with it. The way the plane, the space which goes down, obviously, as you say, was really interesting design of the film and the way they just do quick cuts. And you're not really sure if they're crashing or just falling or whatever's going on. Um, when they do crash, they then obviously all wake up from their cryopods. Um, and everyone's okay other than Stuart. I do kind of wonder why poor Stuart was even there. Poor the actress that got well, the play. She was uh, <laughs> you uh, see her alive and then dead. He says later that she's there to play an Eve role, which is like really brushed over. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah, quite make sense as well. Like if it. it was a if it was a return journey as well, like is he being serious when he talks about her as a as a as an Eve to their what does he say? Like our eager or affections or I got like the impression that um, there was something between Langdon and, and Stuart and he was just kind of talking about that that he thought that Langdon and Stuart would get together once they got back from their journey right. I think but 
it is, as you say, it's brushed over completely. They just kind of go, yeah, that, that's what we were saying. We've, we've done that. Yeah. Because yeah. I think there's, it'd be interesting to have another female in the cast, like yeah. as a predominant character, because it is sort of like it's slanted to male point of view. Obviously, that was sort of like the time. But obviously, Zira is a really great character when it comes to yeah. sort of like females in this. But yeah. yeah, it is sort of like it's interesting because all of this talk about like nuclear war and all yeah. of those kind of themes that are going on they are veered towards um men and the things that men are doing like wars and stuff like that so that's that's interesting we don't get that female perspective from Stuart, no. which would be quite i don't know how they could have worked that in but no well you, well, you could have had your romantic lead be able to speak like, <laughs> if you wanted to have another okay, female that. character <laughs> That's an issue, yeah. Well, I think we've spoken about this before, Matt, when we've talked about this. But yeah, the fact that Nova, who is the sort of main love interest, yeah. can't talk and is just sort of like, she's basically a child as well. And yeah. Charlton Heston is just like, yeah, he's he's a bit, yeah, there's something yeah. a bit dodgy there. There is, isn't there? Yeah. But I think the thing with Stuart, the, the book doesn't have a female in the astronauts that go up. There are only four, uh, sorry, three astronauts and they're all males. And again, you're saying about Nova. Nova is in the book and she's mute, the same as all the other men of Earth. So I guess they've, they've just taken those elements and they can't rewrite everything. So, What's yeah. the deal with the mute humans then? Because like, they don't even uh, vocalise like, like an yeah. animal would. Like apes in our world are not mute. They make loads of noise. Yeah, like, what, what's the deal with that? Uh, only from what I can remember of the book, it's described in there that um, when man started taking apes in as being pets, um, men started to devolve, so they stopped moving forward. They used the apes to do everything for them. Uh, apes are really good at mimicry, so they just did everything they told them. So they had all their cooking being done by them, their cleaning, they were sending off to work for them, and so on. Um, so eventually the humans started just devolving towards animal level. And for whatever reason, they lose their ability to, to speak. Now, why they actually completely lose their ability to speak, I'm not sure. In the book, it does say that they make sort of mewling noises. They do make some noise, but not massive amounts. But they're more bestial, certainly, in the, the way it's described in the book. Because um, yeah. that's why they've... They're, the main thing that I always spot about this is they've got Fantastic semi-automatic rifles yeah. um, and really high-powered pressure hoses. Well, they've got no electricity, they've got no <laughs> engines, they've got no cars. Um, and the book kind of explains it as their technology is based on the human technology at the point in time the humans evolved. So that's where humans had got to. And all apes have done is just mimicked everything the humans were doing at that point. So there's oh, been no move on in technology at all. I mean, in the book, they do actually have planes and cars and electricity and all those things. So, because yeah. he goes into the city for the first time and there's just like a, a proper human city just filled with apes. Yeah, because but, Rod Serling had to really dumb it down, didn't he? He had to dumb down yeah. all those sci fi elements to make it work for for the film. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that they weren't able to do that at the time. But I think there is still something about having it sort of this society which is a little looks on the surface less technologically advanced yeah but like the way their society works is it's still like as advanced as some human societies anyway yeah 
Yeah. But there's also a really nice touch in there with the paper aeroplane where they they just say like it's forbidden, flying is forbidden. And it's it's nice to yeah. kind of uh, just give a bit more like it, it softens the edges of that point that like they're technologically advanced, but there are socio-religious reasons why yeah. certain avenues of technology haven't progressed to the level that they probably could have done just based on their intelligence yeah and that's kind of why i think like the fact that they're the humans are mute as well that works just on a narrative level so that when taylor turns up and he can't speak he gets mistaken for one of the other humans living living on the planet yeah yeah because i guess that's why it has to be shot in the neck because it makes it that he can't speak and can't make any noise at all at that yeah. point it's so um, frustrating to watch it was really frustrating <laughs> to watch especially I, I felt it this time around just because like I mean, there's so many ways you can communicate your uh, sentience and intelligence yeah. to another sentient being without using your voice. It's just like there's so many hand gestures you can make. Like, why isn't he doing it? It really <laughs> drove it, me mad. It doesn't do it because the apes would think the same as we would. If the monkeys started doing hand gestures and things to show intelligence, we'd go, oh, they're just mimicking us. They're just copying what we do. And the apes are coming from exactly the same standpoint that, well, he's just mimicking us. Because he does do this thing with his hand when Zira's doing it. And they but, just say, but, oh, yeah, he's copying a hand gesture. But he is literally copying a hand gesture in that moment. Yeah. Like if an ape came up to me, pointed at his mouth, shook his head, and then made like a talky mouth gesture with his hand, <laughs> and then was like doing, you know, crossed hand gestures, I'd be like, this ape can't speak for some reason. And he normally can. <laughs> Good point, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. But, but Matt, that would have completely killed half of the story in the film. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It'd be funnier. Because then they'd it be parading be him around like, no, he says he can speak, he just can't speak. Yeah. And then Zayas would be like, he's lying. Yeah. yeah. It's still that sort of like sense of disbelief, though. And because they've never seen anything like it. Like, at least we've, we sort of like have seen like apes um do those kind of things like you know that they can learn sign language yeah. sign language and stuff like that yeah whereas for them in this filmic world they're just like nope humans can't do anything yeah. they're just a yeah. scourge yeah but there's there's an element um that i wonder if the humans are trying to hide it as well because when he does write in the sand nova tries to rub out the writing and the guy on the other side of him also tries to rub out the writing so can the humans remember some time when they could communicate and they're, they're hiding it as well from the monkeys so that they don't know? Oh, that's an interesting sort of take on it. Yeah. And also sort of like, it could be that they know that that's bad because they've sort of like, they've been trained by the other apes potentially, or there's some sort of inbuilt thing in humans now that means that they they know that doing stuff like that's bad because of what happened previously. I don't know if that could be an element in there. Yeah. Yeah, could be, I suppose. It's all stuff to think about. Yeah, I just thought it was really odd that that the other humans wiped out the writing that he was doing. It's like, well, why are they wiping out the writing? Why are they scared of him writing? Unless they've got some sort of something somewhere that they they can communicate and they're they're making that choice to be mute rather than they are mute. I take it this isn't isn't in the sequels. No. (laughs) (laughs) The, The book does have an element in it where... Uh, they talk about the fact that the human history or human history is held within the human brains because they managed to, uh, bizarre bit, but they, they're doing some sort of experiment on the human brain. They've got some humans uh, that they've got strapped down and they're electrifying their brains 
And when they electrify the one of the brains, the human starts talking in lots of different voices and telling the history of mankind. <laughs> so absolutely bizarre. And you think, really, is that something that happens? Where have you got that from? But that's how they then basically do the flashback of explaining how apes took over the planet. Um, but I don't know if they were trying to bring some of that in in a mass media way by going, well, you'll scribble out that. We're not. We're just going to be mute and you don't write. It's not good to write. Don't it's know. just very mysterious in the film. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's 1968 and they wanted to just make an, an action movie with Charlton Heston in it. So you can't have exactly. it being too thought provoking, can you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mentioned, like, they just wanted to make an action film with Charlton Heston in it. Yeah. Can we can we talk a bit about like Charlton Heston as a character inside and outside of this film? Because one of the things I absolutely love about it is uh in the first like act of the movie, he is such a prick. Like he is <laughs> so awful, like and so unpleasant to be around yeah. when there are yeah. when you think there's only three human beings on the planet you're on and yeah. one of them's Taylor. Yeah. Um but he's like the hero of the piece. He's Charlton Heston. He's yeah. supposed to be all like cool and stuff. It's it, very it, weird. <laughs> it is very weird because he, he obviously doesn't want to be there. He obviously hates humankind, um, which is why he's gone off on this journey because he knows that when he comes back, there's not going to be anyone around, um, which is uh, not his rule in, in the book, but they make because the guy who invents the spaceship in the book is the guy who wants to be away from humanity. Um, the the Taylor character or Ulysses in the book is actually just a journalist who goes along for the ride. So it's a little different from that point of view. But yeah, he just hates hates the humans, doesn't he? But, yeah. He's so yeah, he's just so contemptuous. Like what a weird <laughs> hero. That sort of adds to him though, because like it's I don't know, it's it's weird for Taylor as well because he says how much he hates humanity and he wishes yeah. there was something better. And yeah. then he's faced with all of these apes and they potentially have a better sort of society going on than what he yeah. left. Yet he's very sort of like he doesn't like the apes either. He calls them damn dirty <laughs> apes. And like, yes. I mean, to be yeah. fair, the stuff he's going through is not not great. So no. he is being no. captured and, and kept in a cage. But <laughs> you would have thought he'd make more effort to sort of understand them a little bit more. But it, because yeah. he's he's got like this bitterness in him, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. But, but I think that's the thing, isn't it? He's gone off into space because he did want to find something new. Um, and he has found something new, but he still yearns for what he had before, I suppose, to a certain extent. Yeah, he kind of wanted humanity to sort of sort themselves out, basically, and yeah, and and stop doing what they were doing. Because the way he talks about um, people's like relationships as well, like even when he's talking to Nova and he says um, something like, "Oh, I like I've had lots of women. Um, yeah. there were lots of women. There was lots of love making, but no love." Yes, and then he sounds sort of like a bit regretful about that, but. There's, it's sort of like comments on society are really interesting because he's like he says how much he dislikes it, but he was still a part of that for a long time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I guess he was a military man of some sort to be part of NASA. I think it's. I think he's got NASA on the ship. I'm sure it has. Mm. I can't quite remember now. Um, so he must have been a military man of some sort to be in there. So. He must have thought something about his country at some point to join up into the military. 
So I don't know, the, the disillusion with mankind doesn't fit with someone who is going to serve I their mean, country. He, he laughs out loud, aggressively laughs at the, at the, 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 at the mere idea of planting an American flag on the planet yes, that they've just found. I love that. So, that laugh is so good. It's just like echoing around the canyon as well. It's so brilliant. It's such a yeah. cruel laugh. Yeah. That was a bit that my, my son picked up on as well. He went, that's a bit manic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a bit. Spot on. Absolutely spot it was. On. <laughs> <laughs> Because he mentions it later on, because they say yeah. about going to the Forbidden Zone, he says, yeah, you might find a little American flag out there somewhere or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah, but, the marker but it's kind of, of my ironic people, the emblem that of my people. That's Sorry, yeah, that's it, yeah. It's, it's kind of ironic, though, that he's he's kind of the defender of humanity at that point, though, isn't he? Because he's like yes. talking about how, how good certain things were to Dr. Zayas and sort of like yeah it's it's weird this kind of like contradiction in his in his character that he hates humanity so much but suddenly he's the only person in the world who knows what humanity could be and has been yeah yeah i guess so and yeah. i think he's 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 then trying to defend humanity against i suppose ape ape humanity no humanity <laughs> yeah coin that simianity i don't know what it is <laughs> What would you go for, Matt? Uh, Apedom. <laughs> Apedom. <laughs> I think that Fair like enough. that is that is one of the better things about about making him such an unlikable dick is yeah. that that to then cast that character into a position of like having to be the the defender, the advocate of humanity against a race that that think they're nothing more than a beast. You yeah. know that that's great because like then it he's reluctant. He doesn't want to do that, but he's also I think he's quite prideful and yeah. you know he will he'll fight his corner and if he sees his corner as being human then that's the corner he'll fight as well yeah i mean in fairness he, he remains a dick towards the end you yeah. know as soon, as soon as he's released and they're escaping i'll have a gun and he's he's, he's got a gun he's going to be armed if he's going anywhere um but it's charlton heston after all well absolutely yeah he has to be the action hero <laughs> But then, yeah. like, I think Charlton Heston's really balanced out with Dr. Zayas, who is kind of like the antagonist of the film. But yeah. he's he's interesting as well because he's kind of got this dual nature because obviously he's, what is he? He's, um like, uh, in charge of science and in charge of faith. I can't remember what the exact yes. terms are. Yeah. 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 He's the religious he's... leader, isn't he? Yeah. And also a complete dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, very early doors. I think we've talked about this before, James, that... Because because all of my association of Planet of the Apes is from uh, the Simpsons musical. Um, from that, I just gathered that Doctor Zayas was like one of the heroes of the film. The way they sing about him in the Simpsons, so <laughs> I was quite Zayas, shocked. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I love you, Doctor Zayas. I genuinely had it in my head that like they would become friends by the end. Um, but yeah, rewatching it like like really early doors he's like oh i don't mind if you uh if you experiment on their brains but uh yeah. don't do socio don't do sociological experiments on their behavior yeah yeah, yeah. he's but, got but, but, go on, sorry he's got that knowledge hasn't he that that humanity has done these awful things to the planet and it's been sort of drilled into him and like other orangutans because that's the other thing as well because the society's like 
divided into different groups based on what kind of apes there are yeah so there's the gorillas which are the military ones the yeah. orangutans who kind of like are in charge and then you've got the chimpanzees who are like um in charge of science and medical stuff yeah. so that's another interesting comparison in there but um but yeah the fact that he's i'm losing my train of thought here well, um, <laughs> you, you say you can't you, tell you say you say he's got knowledge of what humanity's like that's an interesting point though like he doesn't have knowledge he's a zealot he's got religious received wisdom yeah he doesn't have first-hand his first-hand experience of humans is uh torturing and enslaving them and leading a society that does that he has this uh you know a zealot's idea of why that's ideologically acceptable yeah um, but it's not it's not personal knowledge that he has no yeah. he's just he's got his the, the written text the sacred scrolls that have come down from presumably caesar as we find out in the later films um so he kind of knows from that and only from that and he takes that as absolute gospel doesn't he yeah that's a really good point though because then you've got the the whole aspect of the religion in there and then just basing all of your actions on the religion and that's that's sort of like determining how they treat humanity that's a really interesting point yeah that's something that the the book kind of touches on a bit more in that it talks about the fact the apes are just mimicking man. So all the apes that became sort of talking apes, that's what they saw. They were either in science or military establishments. So the only parts of life that they have are science or military life. And then the orangutans have got this extra bit of knowledge, I suppose, because they were seen as the, the wise old man. So they were given bits of extra information. They do talk about orangutans have a, an amazing memory, which is why they were given knowledge rather than just being scientists or military. And that's why the three groups have formed. But that, again, that's something that they've taken from the book, but not really explored as much in the film. Yeah, you get like a brief sense of it in this. But yeah, I yeah. think the later films sort of develop that more, don't they, with the conflicts that happen amongst the apes and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I forgot how little the the gorillas were actually in this one. They are just meatheads in this one, aren't they? Whereas yeah. in the future films, the, there's a definite, there's a general who's the sort of lead gorilla who's chasing after man to try and catch him. Yeah. So, yeah. The, 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 the way they depict the gorillas at the start, because that amazing moment when Taylor first arrives and they're in the field, and then yeah. the horses appear. I mean, you don't even see the apes until I think like half an hour yeah. into the film, do you? Yeah. And then suddenly these guys turn up on horseback and they're they're hunting the humans. And there's that amazing bit where they're they're taking a photo and they're lining up <laughs> all of the humans like beneath their feet. And it's just sort yeah. of like it's that kind of impact as well, because just that that reversal of because you're so used to seeing it with sort of like humans hunting animals yes just that reversal yeah. of what it means that's like a really powerful moment in the film as well and one which i always remember yeah and it is it's taken from all those hunter pictures that you see of man sort of invading the forest for the first time and finding rare animals that were then shot and displayed and i'm sure that somewhere there's a gorilla house that's got some men's heads stuck on the walls like we would do with deer yeah so and like the museum as well. The museum's really oh, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Just with the way they've got all the stuffed humans everywhere. And I actually recently went to a um, museum um, in Dulwich. And 
yeah, there were lots of like apes, like stuffed apes in there. And just seeing this film again was kind of like, wow, they've really like, they know what they're talking about in this because those buildings look exactly like that. And those displays are exactly the same. Yeah, it is. It's it's copied perfectly, I suppose. But I suppose in our museums, we also have those same things of man. So showing what early man was like, but there's no early ape section that we see of the museum. And you kind of wonder if that's something to do with that history thing of they don't actually have a history. They just mimic those. Yeah, because they're really against sort of like um, talking about evolution or anything like that. Yeah. That's like a, like it's a heresy. They can't talk about yeah. any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, that's why Zeus tries to stop all of Cornelius's archaeological dig because he's finding out the truth of their evolution or their non-evolution, I suppose. Um, rather than it being we were made in the shape of God and whatever else. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that Cornelius um, is an, like, he's an archaeologist, isn't he? That's another really yeah. interesting part of the part of it. Like the fact that he is so interested in finding out what happened in the past and where apes came from. And that sort of conflict arising between him and Dr. Zayas's views sort of is a really like interesting drive. And then that, when it comes towards the end of the film, and they go yeah. to the excavation site and you see yeah. those artifacts that Taylor just knows straight away. He knows like that's a, like a pacemaker. That's like a, a old yes. pair of glasses or whatever. He, yeah. That's that just, again, it adds to that sort of like that fantastical nature of it, but it establishes it as this sort of like post-apocalyptic world early on. Yeah. But those things where he finds those bits and says what they are, Zeus immediately knocks them down by saying, well, I could have picked them up and said there were a hundred different things as well and just made it up. So it's straight away, I don't believe it. You're, you're just talking nonsense. That can't possibly happen because my sacred scriptures say something else. Yeah. Yeah, because he's a zealot and he's not a scientist and he's Absolutely. he's compromised in, in the way that Taylor accuses him of being compromised. He mm. says, no, there's no contradiction between my two roles, but that they're fundamentally is he's not yeah he's not a competent leader of science in this society no which you can see by the 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 langdon incident where you know they finally find langdon who taylor's been saying yes i came with other people um and langdon's obviously been lobotomized and that was ordered by zeus so he he knew there was something about langdon that he's got rid of yeah yeah and they stuff the other guy as well and yeah <laughs> yeah dodge appears in the in the museum doesn't he but he shot it during the hunt doesn't he yeah. so that yeah. taylor knew he was dead anyway but it's but, just yeah. that brief shot you get of him and then you yeah. you know it's him and then suddenly taylor comes back and he looks at him doesn't he just as double take. Might be like oh yeah it's my mate <laughs> you do wonder if all the creatures that were in the museum were actually just stuffed man rather than replicas of humans like mannequins as we use or whether they actually were stuffed humans. Well, yeah, presumably. It's yeah. it's the off-casts of the hunt that didn't survive for whatever <laughs> experiments uh, slash zoo functions they've got for them. Yeah. Stick them in the museum. Wow. <laughs> Perfect place wow. for him. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's, it's very grim when you think of it like that. What, yeah, what I mean, existence. Th- that is it as well. This film does, like, when it boils down to it, it's it's quite a grim depiction of the future. But I think it has yeah. to have that sort of like weight to it to have the impact. And I mean, it still does have an impact, like all of the stuff about like the potentials of nuclear war and not treating the planet right. That's like 
that's a fundamental in this, but it's something which is still, you can identify it with it now, even all these yeah. years later. Like it's still just so like it, it could happen. You need to think about these things. Yeah. Yeah. I think right now it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> trying to think about the, the different technologies in there, because obviously the camera they use when they're doing the photograph, again, it's a really old style camera. I mean, 968 had better cameras than that. Um, and then the thing that always got me was they've obviously hunted all these men and they've killed most of them, but they've obviously taken some of them, including Taylor, who's half dying. For some reason, you know, why save him? Why did they even bother saving this man that's almost dead anyway? And then they give him a blood transfusion. Now, whether that's the apes are just trying to work out, can we do this medicine or not? Or what, is there something else behind that? Do you think that why why Taylor was saved? What did they see in him? Yeah. I think it is the the kind of biological experimentation, isn't it? Because like, like I said, Zaius is pro-brain uh, experiments on the, yeah. on the humans for the sake of like furthering medicine, I think. So I think that that's the kind of like primary reason nothing else is really shown are they they're not used for like no labor uh no i don't think they are they show them in the, the sort of exercise yard but i don't think they show them working in fields or anything like that so no yeah, i'm trying to think when he, he runs through the actual village and he's escaping through the village do you see any other men out there i don't think you do i think it is all all apes no and they're really shocked to see him aren't they just the presence yeah. of a man is like upsetting for the the citizens going about their day as it would be if, yeah. if an ape just like barreled through a city you'd be like oh shit yeah but they they, they turn on him in a way i'm sure we wouldn't <laughs> yeah. turn on an ape by throwing stones at him i don't and... think we'd, i don't think we'd stone an ape but you know we'd get they, they do sort of get animal control in don't they with the net yes and they have like yeah. a coordinated yeah. effort to capture him but yeah i'd like to think we wouldn't just throw projectiles <laughs> at a, a loose ape yeah, whatever you have happened to hand like in the remake, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, they kind of have those kind of moments. It's, it's interesting the way you talked about it just then, because in, in that film, they've got that, that moment where the apes are sort of escaping and they're, yeah. they're taking over the city almost. They're trying to escape to the forest. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and the, the humans are sort of doing the same sort of thing. They've got like riot police about, I think. In that yeah, moment. true. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously we've got the technology we have now. So they are. They are getting them with what would be right police with yeah. shields and whatever else yeah but i never saw that comparison between the two scenes before like it was just from from chatting about it then like yeah. they're doing the same sort of thing you've got someone escaping it's just they flipped it in the sort of like revised version of it yeah i do wonder whether or not they were planning on continuing that through to a point whereby a man from earth would appear in their future to try and make that same cyclical story that the original ones had but yeah. I don't think I don't know if they ever worked that far forward, and I think that the final film didn't do as well as they expected, so they kind of have put a halt to it. Yeah, so. I think that's a shame though. But I think it worked. The new ones really work well as a trilogy, and yeah. they do a lot of interesting things. Just with they're they're not as sort of like fantastical in the same way. They're a lot more grounded in the ape politics and sort of yeah. the sort of like division between them and man, and it's got all these kind of like racial undertones in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like it's interesting seeing how they've sort of modernized it, but yeah. then looking at this and just seeing how, where all those roots come from. Yeah, there, there are a lot of similarities, aren't there? That it's obviously a film that's based on 
this 68 film rather than either the book or the Tim Burton remake. It's, it's not its own beast, I suppose. It is taking whatever it can from the original five films and retelling them in a slightly different way. Even the fact that the main character is Caesar, you know, keeping that same monkey name in there. So, yeah. what, But the yeah. fact, there's just something about Planet of the Apes in general, the fact they've been able to sort of perpetuate it into sort of like remakes. They did a TV series. They yeah. did like, the, I think they did an animated series. Animated, yeah, Return to the Planet of the Apes. Fantastic. Yeah. They, they've, done, <laughs> they've done so much stuff. It's the, there must just be something in this world that they've created through the film that has just sort of got that kind of longevity. And it's such an interesting sort of concept, the idea that we're not the sort of like the, the top people in charge. We're not on the top of the food chain. Yeah. They're, they're, we could be taken over by apes or another sort of like species of animal. All of that kind of stuff is, is so interesting to me. And of course, like you wrap it all up with this fantastic ending to the film, yeah. like, the amazing like <laughs> Statue of Liberty. We haven't even covered that, like in nope. in major depth. What? So we talked about like how we how we viewed that when we first saw it. Yeah. Do you still sort of like when you watch the film again, knowing that they are on Earth? Does yeah. that give you a different perspective on it, or? It, it certainly did for me this time, and I think because I knew I was going to be talking about it, I was listening more to what anyone said about when Taylor talks about the time and he talks about the time a lot he really does talk about the fact that it was this journey going out and how long it has been um, and there's a lot of things that Zeus says that really do foreshadow the fact that they're on Earth. I mean Zeus knows that Taylor's not from a different planet I think Zeus knows from the start that Taylor is from the planet they're on and just in the way he says all sorts of things to him. I can't remember all the, the different ways, but you know, at the end where he's saying that it's you'll find your destiny out there is one of the things he says to him when he's going off to search for the world and whatever it is he's going to look for. Um, and there's a, it's the, I can't remember, it's sacred scripture number 13 or whatever that he reads off at the, the end about how man will perpetuate themselves and will destroy the planet and so on and beware of them, keep their numbers down. So he, He's got a lot of extra information, I think, Zeus. What I know of man was written long ago, set down by the greatest ape of all, our lawgiver. Cornelius, read to him the 29th scroll, sixth verse. Beware the beast man, for he is the devil's pawn. Alone among God's primates, he kills for sport or lust or greed. Yea, he will murder his brother to possess his brother's land. Let him not breed in great numbers, for he will make a desert of his home and yours. Shun him. Drive him back into his jungle lair, for he is the harbinger of death. I found nothing in the cave to alter that conception of man, and I still live by its injunction. Um, and like I said, this time when I watched it, I was really listening for all those different things and spotting that it basically tells you what the end's going to be. If you're watching it the second time, you can hear all the bits where it says, yeah, it's on Earth. We're on Earth the whole time. Don't worry. We've never gone anywhere. Yeah. And I think that comes from Rod Serling's writing, because obviously he's the guy who made The Twilight Zone, which yeah. I absolutely love as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And I go on about every opportunity. But yeah, <laughs> it's like it's having all of that sort of, those little nuances in the script which are sort of signposting what's to come 
but yeah. it's still just sort of so left field when you first watch it. It's just oh yeah, and that's why it's been spoofed so many times because it is just so iconic. That amazing just glimpse of the crown on the Statue of the Lib- Statue of Liberty, and I've always yeah. like, and then just yeah, just seeing Taylor's reaction is just so good. It is. It is. Because I think um, I'm pretty sure that that was ad libbed because he was just supposed really? to shout no in a kind of Luke Skywalker way, you know, no, but he did this whole thing of, you know, I was at home all the time and all the things that he says, it's the same as the, uh, get your filthy paws off me, you damn dirty ape. He was just supposed to say, get off me, you ape. And he changed <laughs> what he said to what is now an iconic line, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, I think there's a lot of things like that in the, the this, they did things in rehearsal and went, mm. We'll, we'll keep that. That that really works. Yeah, like um, the, I wonder if the "It's a Madhouse" line as well got ad libbed because that's another classic one. Yeah, no, I, I think because I, I real nerds here. I have read the script. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you can find them online. I, all the scripts for all the, the great films are just free online. Just search for them, and you'll find them. But the Madhouse line's there. Um, but the the damn dirty eight bit's not in there at all. Oh, and at the end, it just says no. So there's wow. a lot of stuff that he must have just made up on spot. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I know the thing about the, the three wise monkeys in the, the courthouse. Yeah. That that was just something that apparently just happened when they were they were there and they were filming and they just go with that. Yeah, there's a really good documentary. I can't remember what it's called, but it's it was it's on the Blu-ray collection of the planet right. of the apes films and it's, it's got so much sort of like interesting stuff in there about how they were acting with each other on set and just all and like all the behind the scenes stuff like yeah. it, there's so much to this film and i mean even the makeup like john chambers who did the makeup yeah. is the guy who was doing all the disguise kits for the cia in the 70s yeah. and yeah. then he he did like spock's ears and won like an oscar for all that kind of stuff and there's just yeah there's so much like so much to this film which is, is why I've just been gushing over it <laughs> for the whole podcast. <laughs> that's fine because that's what this this is all about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, there is there's, there's loads going on. I mean, the, as you say, the, the costumes and things. The one Oscar uh, Oscar award winning wasn't it? The, the costumes for this and the makeup effects. So, it, and it was nothing's been done like it before. Mm. Um, to, I mean, the actors to act in those muzzles must have been really, really difficult just from heat more than anything else. But they managed to get them to to move enough they could see their lips were moving. I mean, I know they're not perfect, but <laughs> I think pretty the, good it holds time. up incredibly well. Like it does oh, it looks yeah. an awful lot like they're speaking and, and there's a lot of like yeah. there's a lot of emotion they're still able to convey through that through those prosthetics. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna ask that actually. How how do you think this this does hold up now as a, a film, you know, nineteen sixty eight and it's a long time on now. Yeah. Well, I think your son kind of proved that it does hold up. Yeah. Like, if he <laughs> yeah, if true. he could watch it and sort of not not sort of um, be like, because I, I like kids now. You see a film and it's got all the CGI and uh, yeah. all of this special effects. If you can yeah, see something yeah. like this of that time period and still just enjoy the story and enjoy the story that they're telling in the film, yeah. then yeah, that's the main thing. So I think yeah, it totally holds up. Yeah, so we, we, I've tried watching the original Star Trek series with. Them. And you can't watch that. The sets are too wobbly and things. I know. Oh, no. I know. Matt's face. <laughs> Respectfully disagree, Gav. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, 
I've got them all downstairs in those DVD box sets of the, the original. So uh, I love it. But yeah, he watched it and just went, yeah, the sets just wobbled out. What's going on there? Oh, so you're he standing watch like that. That's fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to one day making my kids watch Next Generation. But I think, yeah, probably probably skip over the original series. Yeah, I think oh. that's what I should have done. <laughs> yeah. I should have skipped the original series. But I, I love Shatner. I think he's great. He is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, he's very Charlton yes. Heston-esque, isn't he? Heston's performance yes, is not, I suppose. not too dissimilar to, to Shatner. <laughs> Probably not, no. Just hammy. No. Hammy and that would, hyper-masculine. That would be in a good film, actually, if uh, Shatner had played Taylor. Actually. <laughs> Interesting to see. Fantastic. Or oh, they could have done a Star Trek episode on the Planet of the Apes. I would have liked to see well, that. Well, there's comic books. There, yeah. Is there crossovers? There's- yeah, yeah, there's a Star Trek Planet of the Apes crossover books, yeah. Oh my They're God. out there. <laughs> I'm checking that out. I've yeah, got a lot of it. homework after this game. I've got, to, <laughs> I've got to read the book. I've got to look up the crossovers. I've got to watch the other extra series and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Lots yeah. yeah. There's, I can't remember. There's about 30 episodes of the series and there's another 20 or so animated episodes. So you've got loads to watch. Plenty, plenty of content. Yeah. So you both think it holds up. I, I, I would agree. Um I think we talked about the circular nature, didn't we? Yeah. But what about the Tim Burton version then? I've never I'm seen not it. A fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not a fan. fan. Like I like I was quite excited when it first came out because yeah. obviously I'd seen this version and I was like, oh yes, they're doing a remake. But it looked it looks nice. It's very Tim Burton. Yeah. I think they just killed it off with the story. Like it just was a bit too convoluted with like having the, like it was on, it was on the different planet and then I can't even remember exactly what happened but yeah it just didn't work for me there was a bit too much going on yeah well it finishes with the the same as the book that he goes back to Earth and Earth's been taken over by the the monkeys yeah that was um, it wasn't it well I think this show instead of having the final scene over the Statue of Liberty they have the Lincoln Memorial yeah and it's not an it, ape it's, space it's an ape yeah <laughs> which is it's just trying to do the same twist again, but not quite as well, I suppose. Damn it, Actually, you blew like... it up and you replaced it with an A. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, thinking about it, it would be quite a fun podcast episode to do. So I might mention that to you in the future. Matt. Just like, maybe you watch the Tim Burton this piece of shit. <laughs> Is that, that going to be your next um, series? Bad remakes of sci fi films? Oh, that's <laughs> a great little spin off series. We could definitely show, do that. We could. <laughs> There's a Patreon system of great. Fantastic. Gav, there's plenty, there's plenty out there. <laughs> Definitely. Always fun to do as well. And chat about yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing how badly they can do things. <laughs> or even you could do the other way around and do bad original films that were remade better. Yeah. What's in there? Oh, there's got to be lots in there. The, the blob would come to mind straight away. Oh, the remake of the blob's amazing. Which is, is the there, there's still something about the original. The eight, James the Dean's version. One? Yeah. No, no. The James Dean one's uh, amazing. It's got the best theme tune of any film I think I've ever seen. Oh, how does it go? I know. Oh, oh, it's like, it's, it's like so a proper good. 50s beware of the blah. That's it. <laughs> it's, yes. What? Yeah, oh, <laughs> the first time it. I saw it, I thought, is this a horror film? Is it? What am I watching? Yeah, it's like yeah. Again, teen that's comedy. Another, that's another sort of like. I think we talked about the blob previously, Matt, like the original version, and just like it's a rainy Sunday. Yeah. Stick on the blob. It's I've, that kind yeah. of I've film, only seen it? the one with Steve McQueen in. I didn't know there was. Is that the remake or is there a remake of that? No, it's Steve McQueen, not James Dean. Is it? Sorry, yeah. Steve McQueen's the. That's the original one, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I've seen the original. I didn't, I didn't know there was a remake of it. And what yeah, you're saying that the remake is better because I love the blob. Oh. Um, the remake is certainly. It's more of a science fiction film and a horror film than the original. The originals just takes all a bit. I don't know, tongue in cheek almost. <laughs> um, it, there's a more horror in the remake, definitely. Hard to yeah. hard to take anything too seriously when the name of your film is <laughs> The Blob. Well, yeah, it's a huge pink blamond. Yeah, people. It's not. <laughs> but good on them if they made it into a serious thing. Yeah, yeah, it is certainly, it, well, I don't know about serious, but <laughs> it's more serious than the original one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, it, they're good, both good films, but in different ways, very different ways. Have either yeah. of you seen Wellington Paranormal, Taika Waititi's series? No. It's really good. It's got lots of, like, just you talking about the blob just then, there's an episode where they spoof the blob. And right. It's just, it's so funny. It's got all of these kind of, like, classic sci-fi references and they kind of twist them and it's basically was like his... sorry was that a spin-off from what we do in the shadows yeah so it's the spin-off from that but it's kind of like a x-files kind of show but it's like if the x-files um was done by a couple of policemen who are a bit incompetent it's it's really <laughs> great i definitely recommend that as like another thing to right. up. i've got some homework now as well <laughs> there you go. <laughs> i like a bit of homework it's good <laughs> Um, I think we've come to a, a nice kind of end point there. I think I'm not sure. Um, I'm going to ask you this big question: Can you can you sell the Planet of the Apes to me in 30 seconds to make me go out and buy it or go out and watch it? Oh god! Okay, um, I've, I've <laughs> actually done. I've, I've like I've, I've written out a little thing. So let's see if I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I like okay. do that. <laughs> Here we go. So 30 seconds. Um, iconic sci-fi. Good for all ages. A mixture of ethical and societal commentary and straight up classic action. One of the best endings in cinema history. Lots of apes. <laughs> that <laughs> is Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I hope that was 30 seconds. I wasn't tired. It's was probably quicker. Probably quicker. I wouldn't worry. I've been saying 30 seconds. I don't think anyone's managed a 30 second I liked. Yet, so. I liked doing it with a time limit. But yeah, that that is my summing up of Planet of the Apes. In its entirety. Yeah, it's good. It, it must be. It's, it's better than mine, which was, it's about a Planet of Apes. <laughs> That, that's how Matt summed it up yeah. before. It's, I mean, it's 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 right. That's exactly what it yes. is. <laughs> Does what it says on the tin. <laughs> that's the even yeah. shorter version. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you got any sort of favourite scenes? Favourite scenes. Um, obviously the end. Uh, yeah. The bit in the cave where they find all the artefacts. Uh, there's so many. Um, uh, the museum bit's great. And yeah. every time Charlton Heston is running away, it's just it's great. <laughs> whether it's from the gorillas or whether it's from everyone in the in the town, it's yeah, it's brilliant. Did, did notice every time he ran away, he found something to run over so he could jump over the shoulders of some gorillas. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like every time he's run away, some gorillas pop up from either side of the a net. And he'll run over something that they then get the net stuck on and fall over. Oh, I did notice like, that when he was being he'll hunted. Just redo yeah. that same same thing over and over again. He's got his trick. <laughs> he's, he's so agile, old Charlton Heston. Oh, he certainly is. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Have you got any favourite scenes from this one? I don't know if your favourite. But... Uh, my favourite bits in this film are the start when Taylor is being just a relentless jerk to the other astronauts <laughs> and just saying like everybody you know is dead 
<laughs> it's so grim and bleak and he's just like he's it reveling is. in the bleakness of it um i love that stuff yeah but it, it all right it is as you say it's quite a bleak film the whole idea of we've killed off the whole human race and left it to the apes to take over and destroyed everything it's it's fairly bleak just in, in the idea but it's very good <laughs> oh it is. it is it is very good very good and you do have to watch all of the sequels. I'm going to watch all of the sequels now. You've yeah. made it sound amazing. I think James already yeah. sold me on this last time we talked Planet of the Apes. But um, yeah, I need to get yeah. stuck in. Yeah. I think I, Gav's really I would have liked to have seen that. the yeah. Right, I would like to have seen the original sequel that was planned. What was that? Because well, Pierre Boulle did actually write a script, and after the success of the first film, they actually got him to write the script for the second film which was to be called Planet of the Men. Um, <laughs> and it was to be Charlton Heston goes off with Nova at the end, meets up with other humans, and actually teaches them how to become men again so they could rise up against the apes. Oh, interesting. But when Charlton Heston said, I don't want to do it, <laughs> they, they rewrote it and became something different. But yeah, the, so the original sort of sequel script would have been a really interesting film. And would have taken the whole the whole rest of it in a very different direction, I suppose. So. Ah, that's interesting. I, I didn't know that they'd, that he'd, he'd done a script for it, yeah. I think. Yeah, because Pierre Bull wanted to do a sequel, I think, to his own book. Mm. Um, but they've made a film that made that bit difficult, I suppose. So he went, well, yeah, I'll do a sequel to your film and bring my ideas in there. And he came up with this, The Planet of the Men. And then Charlton is... Heston just ruined it all. Yeah, he just didn't want to do it. So Just being too much like Taylor at the start of the film. <laughs> yeah, he was just being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thanks, James. Thanks, Matt, for coming along to the podcast this week. Um, I'll see you again next time. Well, and you're going, to be hearing a, you're going to be hearing a 30 second plug for that right now, right? Yeah, from you. A lot of pressure. Which I'll a lot of pressure stick on, on later on. <laughs> Loads of pressure. I like pressure. It's good. <laughs> oh my god! I'm back. I'm home. All the time. We finally, really did it. You maniacs! You blew it up! Oh, damn you! God! Hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, James and Matt about Planet of the Apes. Next time, we'll be talking to James and Matt again, but this time about Matt's favourite film, which is Wally. Here is Matt's trail. Wally is a charming kids' movie about a cute, lovable little robot that falls in love and just wants to hold this girl robot's hand and he ends up saving the world and it's also about the ecological disaster that causes the possible extinction of all humanity thanks for that matt that's next time and until then bye bye for now finally thanks to acast for hosting the website and to max smith for the theme tune composition to get in touch with the podcast, remember that website is www.myfavoritefilm.com.